Let me invite you now to stand and turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 13. So we're in Romans 13. This is a series we started some time ago, and we're just working our way through uh, each passage of Romans. And we saw last week, saw last week at the end of Romans 12, 30 commands, all these commands based on the mercies of God and how God has worked in our life through the gospel, which motivates us then uh, to follow and live for Him. So we go from 30 commands, all these different topics, to one topic, Romans 13. One topic, the governing authorities in this brief passage is a theology of government, a biblical theology of government, and reminds us as Christians that part of being a living sacrifice involves being a good citizen and what that means with regard to our government. So Romans chapter 13, buckle your seatbelts, Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval." For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay, atten- pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, as we come to this text, we pray we would be the kind of citizens that we are called to. The gospel requires something of us here. And so we pray you would move in our hearts to shape and to mold our character, that we would not be discipled by the world, but instead we would follow you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Between 1845 and 1861, Germans immigrated to this part of Texas, to the Texas Hill Country. And many of these Germans, not all of them, many of them between 1845 and 1861, the ones who immigrated here, were what they were called Friedenkers. Friedenkers. They were free thinkers. Free thinkers. Some had participated in the German Revolution, and then when they came here, they wanted to throw off the influence and the power of religion and of politics in their daily life. They wanted to be free thinkers. They wanted to be free from the influence of an authoritarian government or government authority. 
and to be free from the influence of religion. They were very independent, certainly. And certainly, some of our Texas independence draws from that. This group of free thinkers, and there still is a free-thinking society of Central Texas in existence, this idea of being skeptical towards the powers that be, towards the power of uh, the religious enterprise and institutions, this skepticism and independence is very much part of our DNA. Just watch when anyone tells you what to do or when the government has a, quote, mandate. How you react to it is very much a function of how much you have been influenced by the free thinkers who came to this part of Texas. So much of their mentality is still around today, and we draw some of our desire for rebelliousness and even the uneasy relationship we have with authority even as I'm speaking, how you are reacting to this is very much a function of how you have been discipled, not by Jesus, but by the world, discipled by the things you read and listen to. Independence is a wonderful concept. Independence is also very difficult to turn off. And independence towards God is not a good thing. It is, in fact, the first sin of Adam and Eve declaring their independence from God. And it's most important and vital with regards to this question of what our relationship is to authorities that we listen to the Bible first and foremost. That we see that we are called to be model citizens. And we're going to look at what that looks like today from the Bible, from God's Word. And we will see all that this entails. Now, we're called to be model citizens. And if you follow, are following along here, if you're live streaming, you can click on the link for our worship bulletin. It has a sermon outline. You might have one in front of you there. There's really just one point, and it's the point that we're called to here in this passage in two different places, and that point is to be subject to the governing authorities, to be subject to the governing authorities. And then I ask that question, one of my favorite questions, why? And we're going to see four reasons why that's the case and then draw some applications. So first, this idea to be subject to the governing authorities. Look in verse 1. Let every person, yes, even free-thinking Texans, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This subject to means to be obedient to. It means to be submissive to. It means that God has established and ordained a certain order to a civil society, and part of that involves, when we read governing authorities, part of that involves the powers that be. Now, it was a very different situation in the ancient world with regard to Caesar 
In fact, if you look at the larger context of this passage and you see at the end of chapter 12, the concern is really for this unfairness. And the call at the end of chapter 12 is for a trust in a God who will work vengeance. And so this idea, understand this comes up in the context of unfairness. And people were tremendously weak with regards to the power of Caesar, his absolute power, and in many ways, the most radical political statement ever made in all of history is Jesus is Lord. Caesar was not Lord. So into that context, we get this command, let every person be subject, submissive to, obedient to the decrees of the governing authorities. That command is repeated in verse 5. Skip forward there a little bit in the passage. Therefore, one must be in subjection. So to submit to the governing authorities, to be obedient to the powers that be, that is what the command is. And of course, now our Texas independence is up, right? And we're saying, okay, tell me about the exceptions. Because I want the exceptions. And so that's again evidence that we have this independent streak that comes from the free thinkers who inhabited this area. Tell me about the exceptions. And there are some biblical exceptions to this idea of being subject to the governing authorities. And I want to offer you this. I think Paul in his wisdom implies these exceptions. So this is not an absolute subjection to the governing authorities. In other words, when we're commanded to disobey God, we would rather obey God rather than men. That point is clear in Scripture, and I think that's implied here. We know that in Exodus chapter 1, we have maybe the first act of civil disobedience was with the Hebrew midwives. They were commanded and we can remember this on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. They were commanded to kill the Hebrew children, the, the boys that were born, and they tell an ethical lie to Pharaoh. Well, the women give birth before we get there. And the midwives are honored with families of their own. They are blessed by God in this resistance that they have. So we know that in the case of killing the innocent, and especially killing the unborn, then we know we can resist the governing authorities and we don't submit to that. Another instance of uh, biblical resistance with regard to authority is Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, and of course I think the way that Daniel lived his life uh, in exile in Babylon is an example for us, and we know in Daniel chapter 3, some of Daniel's companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the story, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego commanded to bow before an image of Nebuchadnezzar. Of course, they refused to do this, showing us that not only killing the unborn is a reason we resist the government, but another reason would be denying Christ or denying God. And, but notice this, and we often forget this in our independence and rebelliousness, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the text tells us in Daniel 3, were very respectful to Nebuchadnezzar in their resistance. Uh, we read in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Notice twice there, they address him by name, they address him by his title. This is a respectful, honorable way to resist. And they add in verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So at times, God's people do resist governing authorities and the powers that be, but they do so honorably, respectfully, to preserve life and to preserve what is required in the faith uh, in terms of worship. And so the Bible is a huge book, and I brought out two examples of resisting authority. It is not something that happens frequently. Not something that happens frequently, but I think it's implied here in this passage. Now, why would we be subject to the governing authorities? Why on earth would we be subject to the governing authorities? I'm going to tell you. Right here from the scripture, the first point is that these governing authorities are appointed by God. Look at the second half of verse 1. Why would we be subject to the governing authorities? Reason number one, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist are instituted by God. What is clear here is that God himself ordains providentially by his power who the governing authorities are. And as such, we should recognize that God is really the one who is in charge that he's the one in charge of who is in power. And so, appointed by God, he's the one that establishes the governing authorities. We vote, of course, didn't vote in the ancient world when Romans 13 was written. We vote, but God decrees. And God places in power sovereignly who he wants. So that's the first point there. Why would you submit? Because God is the one who has instituted authority. Look at verse 2. Whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. So if we resist the authority, if we're disrespectful to our president, to our vice president, to senators, Members of the House of Representatives, we are resisting the authority that God has appointed. He has placed these men and women into positions of power for his own reasons and for our good, as we will later see. So the second reason why we would not resist the authorities, so they're appointed by God, and also we will incur judgment. Reason number two, we will incur judgment. Look at verse two. Those who resist, and I want to imply here, there's a lot of background that we could understand that the Apostle Paul is saying just good authority. 
those who resist will incur judgment. So we incur judgment when we resist that which God has appointed. You see this as well in verse 5. In verse 5, verse 5 is a summary statement, a transition and a summary statement. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath. So God's wrath and His judgment comes for those who resist governing authorities. And so resisting authority uh, that is appointed by God will incur His judgment will incur the wrath of God. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do then? Look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to what? Good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Part of the problem in our own day in our society is that Christians are not of such impeccably good character and acts of mercy, tangible, demonstrable acts of love that those who are in authority, we want them to say, these Christians are so good, not just as a voting block, but they add so much to our society that I will protect them and I will pass laws conducive to the spread of their faith because they contribute so much to the fabric of society in taking care of those who are in need. Good conduct is what we are called to, to impress those who are in authority by the fact that we live as salt and light. Can you imagine a world like that, where the Christians are conducting themselves not in disrespectful, dishonorable ways, but in such good ways that it threatens those who are in authority, and they desire to pass laws that are conducive to Christianity. Now, this, there was a time when this happened. In 362, so way back in 362, a ruler named Julian the Apostate. That was his name. He was against Christianity for certain, Julian the Apostate, and he wrote a letter to one of his pagan high priests in Galatia. And this letter has been preserved, and here's what he said. He said, it is disgraceful that when no Jew has to beg and the impious Galileans, that's what he called Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. Let me read that to you again. When no Jew has to beg, the impious Galileans, the Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. Here he was, not a fan of Christianity at all, by any stretch, noticing that the Christians of his day took better care of the pagan poor than they did. And not only took care of the pagan poor better than they did, took care of their own poor as well. Would that we would have that kind of reputation again as Christians, that we would recapture this idea that we are 
the best and model citizens of this great country that we live in, contributing to the good of society, feeding the poor, being a place, a hospital for sinners as a church, and a place of healing in our society. That's the good conduct that we're called to. So, so far I've shown you to be subject to the governing authorities. Why would we do this? God appoints the authority. That's reason number one. Reason number two, we will incur God's judgment uh, if we don't. And then reason number three here is that the authorities wield the sword. Look in verse four. For he is God's servant for your good. Hold on just a second. I have two problems with this verse. One, he calls the authorities, the powers that be, the governing authorities. What does he call them here? God's servant. It's a reminder to us that God in his sovereignty is able to turn the hearts of rulers. He is able to control what happens. And so... He is God's servant to what end, for what purpose, for your good. Even a tyrannical ruler rules for our good if it causes, if that tyranny causes us to turn all the more to Christ and depend on Him. You see, truly the Christian wins no matter who is in power because the powers that be even when they're tyrannical, drive us towards more and more dependency on Christ. And maybe if things really got difficult in this country, people would turn to Christ out of desperation for the real and good ruler. So we read here, God's servant for your good Verse 4, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. And the reality is that our authorities have the power of the sword. This was not an age where every citizen had the right to bear arms. This was different. And the threat of the sword was real at that time. And this is one of the reasons why Christians would submit so that they would not come under this sword. Look at verse 4 again. Not only are the authorities that be called God's servant once, look at the rest of verse 4, twice, for he is what? The servant of God, an avenger who carries out wrath on the wrongdoer. How did David relate to Saul? He did not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, and that speaks to the powers that be, their obligation to follow through with justice uh, that we see. So authorities wield the sword. And then the last reason, the fourth reason, why would we submit to authority Last part here of uh, verse 5, for the sake of conscience. Now, conscience is a specialized and important word in the Pauline 
uh, corpus, what we call the Pauline literature, whatever Paul wrote. Conscience is an important factor. And one helpful definition of conscience that I picked up, not original with me, is a believer's conscience is his, his or her knowledge of God's will and purposes. So the conscience is informed by knowing God's will and purposes. And so knowing God's will and purposes, that he is sovereign, that he works all things according to his will for our good, for his glory ultimately, a believer's knowledge of God's will and purposes, the conscience informs us and is a reason why we should submit to authority. And so that's the final reason. Four reasons here why we would submit to authority. Appointed by God, incurring God's judgment, authorities wielding the sword, and for the sake of conscience. Now, what do we do with this? What do we do? That's in verse 6. Look at verse 6. And you know, tax time's coming, so this is an important uh, verse here. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are, what are they? Ministers of God? Can you imagine? Called servants of God twice. Third time, ministers of God. In other words, this shows us that indeed God is sovereign and those who are in power only do and follow what God has decreed. Ministers of God attending to this very thing. So paying taxes is part of how we submit. And we ought to, part of the application here is that we pay taxes willingly. That we understand that every society has had a taxing authority, and death and taxes are things that are certain in our life. And so we pay our taxes not begrudgingly, but I hope thankfully that we live in a country that is free, where we have the freedom to exercise our faith and gather together, that we pay what we owe. We pay our taxes and then I'm not saying, and nowhere in here do you need to pay more than, than what's decreed for you by law, but this is part of a Christian submission. To render to Caesar what is Caesar, Caesar's, that's what Jesus said. So what do we do? We pay our taxes, but then look at verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. And then look at this, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Revenue is different than taxes, and the translation there is, is different. And what we might translate that as, the, these are the fees that we pay. The fees that we pay, maybe we pay $75 a year to the county to register our vehicle, and that money is used to repair roads. So paying the fees that we owe, the taxes that we owe, but then here's where it gets a little challenging. Here's where the Apostle Paul steps on our, sh our toes. Not only do we pay taxes and the fees that we owe as an act of submission ultimately to God, but we pay respect to whom respect is owed. 
Maybe that's harder than paying your taxes. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is what we pay in obedience to God because we know Jesus is Lord and everyone in power is simply under the Lord Jesus Christ who is really in power. You know, about a year ago, about a year ago, I had, <clears throat> had a situation in, in church. Uh, this is after the inauguration took place, and I read, I read this passage of Scripture before the pastoral prayer, and then we prayed for President Joe Biden as a church, and I read this passage because I knew there was going to be trouble. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving Thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I read that verse, and then I prayed for President Joe Biden by name. And while I'm praying, I hear a little commotion, and I look up, and someone walks out. A member of this church walked out. And you might think, oh, give them the benefit of the doubt. They were just going to the bathroom. No, I watched going through the uh, windows there and then these windows. And I followed up on that situation. And that individual left because I prayed for, whether you like it or not, our president. That is not in the least bit godly or good. And I think what it is, and I've said this before, evangelicals, we have the evangel. We have the good news. And when it comes to politics, we too often are like Esau. We come in and we sell our evangelical birthright. And then we say, no, politics is where the real power is. And we willfully and stubbornly forget that the evangel is where the real power is. And my encouragement to you is to be discipled by God's word, to sit under its authority and instruction. And I know, you know, Kendall County votes 80% uh, Republican or so, 20% uh, Democrat, and maybe 1% Libertarian or other. And I know that doesn't equal 100%, but that's kind of a commentary on our uh, election system. And that was just a joke. But... <laughs> My point in saying is, where is the real power in this world? It's not in the White House. It's not in the Supreme Court. Whether a law changes or not, we will follow our Savior. And if we restrict 
the proclamation of the gospel or the population of this church only to one political party, we are missing out on the population of our county. And so we have to use wisdom in the way that we talk because there are people here all over the map when it comes to politics. But as well, our church should always be in the process of gathering those who are in deep disagreement with the convictions that you hold dear because that's called evangelism, isn't it? If everyone here believed the same way, we're not doing our job as a church. We should always have skeptics, always have those who uh, have yet to have the lordship of Jesus Christ catch up to their convictions and beliefs. They should always be in process, in part, because that's the process of discipleship. And so you may deeply disagree with an administration, but this is not an excuse to disobey the Bible and to not pray for someone. And you know what I think the problem with our country, one of the big problems Christians are not helping with is that the more we disagree with an administration, the less we will pray for those in the administration. And the more you disagree, if you have biblical values, and ethics, the more you disagree with an administration, the more prayer is needed, not less. And this is one of the reasons why our country is in the mess that it's in. Evangelical Christians have sold our evangelical birthright, the power of the gospel to change and transform hearts. We disagree, and so we don't pray. And that is not what our country needs. And so I want to encourage you to pray, to be subject to the authorities as the Bible is outlined here, to follow God rather than be discipled in this world. You know, at our church, you will not find, unless our session says different, and maybe if I'm not the senior pastor, you won't find a voting guide. You know why? Because we believe the evangel is more powerful. And that's where the emphasis should be placed. And we're not going to sell our evangelical birthright in this power of the gospel and this acknowledgement that God, in one brief moment, can turn the tide of history. And he is the one who is in charge, not us. And an encouragement towards you parents and grandparents that we are commanded here, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The authority you undermine may be your own. Because when our children watch us ripping on leaders, disparaging them, disrespecting, dishonoring them, Yes, guilty as charged, but repenting. Our children watch that kind of behavior from us, and they learn how to relate to authority and leadership from us. 
And so remember to pay the respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's return to that. Let's stop the polarization that has infected our society. And let us together obey what God has called us to do. And then children and grandchildren, you have an application here too. You can, in those moments your parents are disrespectful, in those moments your parents dishonor leadership. And let me tell you, leadership is hard. Leadership is really hard during times of corona. When your parents, I didn't say if, when your parents disrespect authority, dishonor authority, leadership, you can call them out on that in a gentle way to say, hey, did you hear that sermon? Remember, we're called to respect and to honor. Even in those times we disagree, and we're also called to pray. And kids, you can remember that those moments of criticism, because aren't we all the ultimate political armchair quarterbacks? Oh, if they would only do that. I mean, I, I'll tell you. If they would only do this. Let those moments be moments of prayer and times to come together as a family for the sake of our society, culture, country, and world. So we're called to be model citizens. Let's get back to that. Uh, there's an election coming in 2024. So this is preparatory towards that that we would remember what we are called to, that we wouldn't have the chaos we had in this church in 2020, that we would grow and mature. We have several years to do it. Of course, there's an election, an important governor election in Texas in 2022, local elections here sooner than that. But that we together would experience elections as deep times of confessing together that Jesus is Lord, and this is our opportunity to be a model citizen and to pray for those who are in authority over us. So that's what we're called to. That's a brief biblical theology of government. And you know what the reality is? It doesn't matter whether we like it or not. It doesn't matter whether we're comfortable or not with it. This is what God has said in his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we indeed do pray that we would turn to prayer instead of criticism. That we would turn to acts of mercy and love rather than acts of judgment that you would help us to live as salt and light, as citizens of this wonderful country that you have placed us in, that we would use the freedom you have given us for good and to serve you. We pray that by so doing, you would get the honor and the glory, that the gospel would triumph, that people's hearts would be transformed and that we together would give you the praise for it. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.